Hey, Jordan. What's up? How's it going? Rob, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Can't complain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm doing okay. Had a nice burger earlier. That was nice. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> it, was, it was good. You know, this might be the year where I just finally come around on in and out. There have been times you're being, you're being pulled into the yeah, to it's, the it's, being pulled, it's gravitational wow. pull is just yeah. so strong, and you're being peer pressured just, by all your cool LA friends. Now this is what's going on. You were you were holding strong when you were a, <laughs> a tough, bitter East Coaster, and now you're in the the hippy dippy LA lifestyle. And you're getting pulled into it. I see what's going on. <laughs> well, I still think there are better burgers. I I maintain that. Yeah, but. I understand the appeal, especially because it's open late, solid, quick, cheap meal. But where I will not go, where people typically start their argument on behalf of or in defense of in and out just because it's convenient, open late and cheap, that doesn't mean it itself is the best burger. Those are other variables that make it a convenient meal, but I still think things like Shake Shack and Whataburger are better. Yeah, in all honesty, I had In-N-Out one time when I was in LA about 10 years ago, and it was very enjoyable. I I liked it. I think I had just, the hype had been too much. I had talked myself into be like, this is about, I'm about to experience the greatest fast food burger experience in the whole world. I think when you have that expectation, you can't help but be like, eh, you know, it's, it's fine, you know? So <laughs> right. I think that was maybe, maybe that's my own fault. I don't know. No, it is oversold. It's oversold. It yeah. absolutely is. Cause I had the first time I had it, I had a really bad experience and I just assumed that people had no idea what they were talking about. Second time I had it, it was okay. And then a few more times recently, since I've moved here, I've had it a couple times and when you get it fresh and you get it in the, in the store or like eat it in your car right after the drive through it's fresh and it's made well, it is, it's pretty good. Yeah. And you have to, like, I, I think that matters. Freshness matters. Time matters. Just like any fast food item. Yeah. Okay. Well, when I come out to LA again, I'm going to give it another shot. Okay. Yeah. We'll go. We'll do a taste test. Yeah. Check out our mukbang channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should be doing. This is what drives in the clicks and the and the God, subs. Yeah, really. In fast food. I mean, you you have energy drinks because you're you're playing fast and loose with heart health. Yeah. I'll do burgers. I'll do burritos. I'll do tacos. You only live once. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't do the energy drinks. Too much coffee. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I had a nice uh, white monster today, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Very refreshing. It was. So, I'm still coming off this cold. I was very disoriented. I'm still feeling sick. That was that was the thing that pushed me over the top. It healed me. It fully healed. That's me. lovely. Yeah, it's medicinal. <laughs> medicinal monster. Now, <laughs> um, a friend of the show, Tom Williams, straight from the path. Their band. Every show they have a tradition. They shotgun a Red Bull backstage before immediately going out and playing a set every single show wow. they do this and i you know i've seen them several times and 
they've offered me uh, the Red Bull a couple of times and early on, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Okay. And just tried to chug the whole thing. And within 15 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, my heart is going to stop. Like, I can't, <laughs> I ha- I'm so, I'm so unaccustomed to this feeling and the impact that these drinks have. Last time I saw them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You want to do one? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Like took a couple sips and like just threw yeah. the can, the trash can, you know, you had to sell it. Like, yeah, I just down that thing. <laughs> poured knowing plant, to myself, like, like three quarters of it's still full. <laughs> There's no way I'm dealing with that, that heart, uh, that heart pain and congestion. I'm good. I remember when I was in my twenties one time in Montreal, there's, you know, there's, in Montreal, there's always been a big, like kind of indie rock kind of art scene. And I was very much involved in that in kind of my, my early, early twenties, I would say this was some time ago now. And, uh, when I was at this party at this loft one night and I, I was doing Jaeger bombs, somehow Jaeger bombs got introduced and I did probably three or four of those. And then like, probably 30 minutes later, I was doing cartwheels with my friend. We were practicing cartwheels and round offs. <laughs> and I was like, this is so fun. This is great. This, is, this was three weeks what? ago. <laughs> In retrospect, it's like, maybe it's because I had like four Red Bulls and I was just like, Jesus completely Christ. just overcome with, with energy from the, yeah, I think that was probably the reason. This is why no. I don't do this kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, that was the meeting <laughs> right. three weeks ago. That's right. That's I've turned a new, <laughs> turned over a new leaf now. You're new Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Rob has moved on to Aperol spritzes. Yeah, that's right. I'm classy. I'm a classy gentleman. Now. Another awful tasting drink. Uh, <laughs> it's I'm coming up on four years sober now, and as time goes on, especially with liquor, you think back to it and it kind of makes your stomach turn. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone like a long period without drinking or without liquor itself. Like that distance makes the the taste of all of us even thinking about it just really unappealing and i watched a video recently one of the one of the coffee channels i I watch he was talking about a jaeger and cold brew mix that jaeger is making and just the thought of that made me so (laughs) nauseous because i remember doing jaeger bombs as like a 19 year old and being like Yeah. yeah i'm invisible this is great and now 36 and four years sober it's like i want to vomit just thinking that you yeah. talking about it made me uneasy i still have bad associations with with liquor based on experiences i had like 25 years ago i imagine it must have been somewhat similar you know you grew up in ohio right i grew up in brockville mm-hmm. ontario which is very very similar culturally to the midwest yeah <laughs> and like i think back on it now and i've like the amount of binge drinking that went on when i was like 15, 16 years old, like 17, like it's crazy. It's really kind of shocking in retrospect that that was such a big part of the culture that I grew up in. Like I I had evenings like in that, that age that if I was doing that today, I would be completely scandalized, but it was just seemed totally normal at the time. It's really strange. There is nothing to do. That's true. There's nothing to do. It's just go to a field, drive to a field and just, you want to go hang out at the gas station, (laughs) destroy your brain cells. Yeah. It's like, it's that hang out at a gas station, do opioids, play video games. Like what, what else are you going to do? Half of them are on the risk of getting arrested. So it's like, okay, at least this is exciting. Walk around the suburbs, causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh boy! Now we're old, mature. Yes, yeah. I'm very mature. Nothing, I, I just talked to, part wheels exactly. I just spoke <laughs> with the last episode about how New Year's. I was 
drinking sparkling wine and singing Bob Seeger songs for hundreds of people. So yeah, I've really come a long way. Old man's soul. Mr. Maturity. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, was cool though. Is... And people like that. So, you know, it was fun. You don't got to defend it to me. I'm on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're a Bob Seeger guy. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like a huge fan, but if it's on, I'll leave it on. It's one sure. of those things. He's got some very good songs. Anyway. Sure. Let's get to yeah. the business. Let's get down to business here. That's enough reminiscing. Right. Absolutely. We got Eight here? minutes of reminiscing. We're good. We've hit yeah. our reminiscing cap. Exactly. <laughs> Did you see that story in the intercept today? Uh, yes. Uh, you sent that to me. It was a friend of the show, Daniel Bogoslaw, uh, internal CNN directives force all Israeli news through the network's Jerusalem Bureau, subjecting it to oversight by the IDF censor. CNN also hired a soldier out of the IDF spokesperson unit to cover the aftermath of October 7th. Nothing like good old-fashioned, uh, non-biased, straight-down-the-middle uh, <laughs> Western reporting. You know, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you think about the coverage and totality of this war and which networks have done poorly. I think that's most of them and where you saw some bright spots and we're talking, but just in this context on cable news, I think you've seen some tremendous print reporting as usual in some outlets. Um, but I think CNN and th I don't even think it's fair to compare them to like Fox Newsmax OAN. Cause you're not going to get yeah. any sort of attempt at responsibility there. You know, they've got an agenda. They're going to push it. That is their operation. Their whole operation is to be, megaphones for the right cnn doesn't have that explicit mission but i think there are moments where it's like what are you doing here uh this war has been really telling for cnn's priorities and just the reflection of corporate media and television news and their goals because they turn war into moments for you know business success it is the the what people experiencing on the ground see as a horrifying moment in their lives, one they'll never forget, turns into, you know, like wag the dog type moments where you have the anchors just like jumping into a ditch and pretending like they're just within striking distance as air raid sirens going in the back. It's like that's you're not in any danger. You're doing this for the camera. But, there, you know, there was a bright spot where Wolf Blitzer, of all people, repeatedly pressed an IDF spokesperson about their first strike on Jabalia refugee camp, repeatedly talking about how it, how reckless it was, the innocent civilians that they killed. But that's like it. Of all the moments that we've seen come out of CNN and all the coverage, that was about it. And it seemed like an accident, honestly. He just yeah. couldn't, he couldn't even keep up the, the facade that we have to act like this is purely one-sided and what they're doing is noble and just. So to see stories like this, it to me is, is unsurprising, but it is affirming to have this kind of stuff uh, confirmed, to have it laid out before you. Uh, and I think to me, it underscores the importance of independent media or people who are just truly committed to the pursuit of truth, covering these things in a moral and responsible way with profit secondary or even non-existent in, in their, in their factors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the things I'm really grateful about, about, um, 
having a little bit of a platform. It's certainly not a platform that can rival mainstream corporate media like CNN, but like it's something that I really don't take for granted. The fact that um, that I'm able to through this podcast and through through Twitch streams and other things, and the fact that that other people in this space are able to um, talk about this and other similar uh, geopolitical kind of issues um, without that level of like inherent bias and this this need to kind of uphold certain status quo. Um, you know, it's it's this whole the last three months and the horrors of it, I think have really underscored how important it is to to have independent outlets that aren't beholden to these kind of really powerful forces. And um, yeah, it's one thing that I'm really grateful for, honestly, to be able to be a part of that, I think is really cool. And uh, I, I hope... I hope some of the, the coverage that we've done on this show has been uh, has been helpful for people to navigate this. It's been a really difficult time, and it's the the kind of propaganda funnel gets turned on, the propaganda button gets pushed, and you can feel really isolated and alienated and crazy. And uh, I hope that uh, that the coverage we've been doing has been uh, has been uh, helpful to people over the last couple of months in some way. Yeah, these topics are obviously never easy. Um, the saturating yourself in the coverage in the stories in those discussions are are draining to say the least and you, within that you have to acknowledge that it could be so much worse you could you could actually be there you could be among them and a victim and that's you know you, you, you um, this isn't to say like covering it and talking about it makes us the her- heroes it's definitely not it's just we want to lift up people who are fighting for peace, who are calling for diplomacy, who are doing what we believe is the right thing to do in a moment like this. When you have media apparatuses cheering on war, because traditionally that helps with ratings, which boosts their ad revenue, which helps their bottom line. That's not how a war should be treated. War should not be treated, and you see it especially with Ukraine. Like the the stories that we've talked about now for a couple of years, out of there are just textbook uh, selling the myth of war for for corporate profit, and that's just yeah. really unsettling to us. And it goes beyond just this show. I mean, we've both done things in our personal capacity to fight for peace, to fight for a ceasefire, put, help put pressure on our respective governments to demand a ceasefire. I wish we could say we were successful. I think there's progress that's been made and you see some people criticizing the U.S.'s role or Canada's role within those governments who are calling for a ceasefire. There's still more work to be done and we will do that, but uh, I, I wish we could say we were successful a month or two months ago at this point, but it, the work continues. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this is an important piece that people should check out by Dan Boguslaw. I'll put it in the in the show notes so you could check it out, but it's just another example. We've seen, I think it was, the, we really saw, actually, we saw it was with CNN. They embedded themselves with the IDF to go into Gaza about a month and a half ago. And then they just kind of quietly acknowledged like, oh yeah, the IDF had to sign off on everything that we, that we recorded before we published it. It's like, yeah. that's not journalism. You're just doing PR for a military. 
<laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, CNN should go ahead and embed themselves into the Russian military and get get Putin's approval over what specific stories get published and what don't. I'm sure that the the viewers of CNN and the listeners or whatever would have zero issue with that. You know, it's just it's it's really crazy the way that we treat these two uh, these two uh, different conflicts and the, right. the the kind of like total refusal to follow by the same standards uh both in like how this is covered and how we talk about who has the right to resist violent occupation and who doesn't um or just the willingness to like allow one of the the occupying army in this case to basically con- totally set and control this narrative and being this is being done from the, the highest levels of the of corporate media it's it's absolutely insane and like you said, um, you know, we really appreciate being able to do whatever we can to uh, cover this and whatever other uh, topics that were that are going on uh, in the news cycle and provide a different perspective to that. We really do appreciate. Uh, we just to reiterate what we're saying in the the New Year's episode. We really do appreciate everyone that has stuck around over the years to listen to the podcast. Um, if you do want to support the work that we do, because we don't have any uh, massive corporate <laughs> sponsors, unfortunately, until my monster sponsorship really starts paying dividends, <laughs> we've got nothing like that. We have no uh, weapons manufacturers, no oil companies or energy no conglomerates or pharmaceuticals or telecom conglomerates funding the the work that we do here. It's entirely funded by the listeners of this show, which is something that is not lost on us, something that we appreciate a lot. So if you do want to support the work that we do on here, you want to get access to all the the bonus content. We've done so many really fantastic bonus uh, episodes with some really great guests uh, over the years. If you want access to all that, please uh, subscribe to the show, if you can, at insurgentspod.com. We really, really appreciate everyone who is able to support this program. Yeah, we can't thank you enough. You you really keep the show going. Um, We are eternally grateful to every single one of you who subscribes. So, yes. Thank you. And I am also grateful to friend of the show, Manny Fidel, who is making his return <laughs> appearance today, which is very uh, cool and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Manny uh, join is joining us in a second to talk about <laughs> the, <laughs> the Jeffrey Epstein files, a long awaited Jeffrey Epstein documents and associates. Uh, we get into that. We get into Trump receiving money from foreign governments, Mark Cuban's uh, defense of DEI, uh, and arguments with people like Elon Musk and Bill Ackman, who we didn't mention in the last episode about the Harvard president, but he was another figure who was helping push that culture war. He's just kind of this guy who emerged and financed people uh, the financial sector certainly knew who he was, and the tech sector seems to have some familiarity with him. But he seemed to, he just kind of emerged as these culture wars over uh, critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion broke out as a, a champion for the rights priorities and objectives here. Uh, but him and Elon, or him and uh, Mark Cuban have been going back and forth about the importance or lack of importance uh, of having a diverse and equitable uh, office. So we get into that a whole lot more. Who was the, the, like the conservative guy who published that piece in the op-ed today, who over the last few weeks has been totally like telegraphing their whole bad faith strategy about this step-by-step and talking about it every step of the way. Chris Rufo. Yeah. Yeah. That's Chris Chris Rufo. Rufo. Yeah. Yeah. 
we talked it about him in the last incredible. episode. Yeah, it's it yeah. is just it's truly incredible the way he's just been openly discussing this and openly talking about it, and still people can't help but fall into these traps and be like, well, in order to be to show how serious we are, we must take these accusations in good faith. We must do this. We must do that. It's honestly <laughs> amazing. Even when these people are openly saying we're just doing this to, to as a power play, we believe in nothing. We're just trying to hurt you with this. And these people are just like, still though, we should still go along with it. I think that's absolutely. Yeah, we need incredible. to look into her scholarship from 1993. This is a really big deal, and <laughs> definitely the, not related to anything story. else that they're trying to do. This is the top right. story in American media for like three weeks. Yeah, this is what. This so is ridiculous. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh well, should we get to Manny? Let's do that. Always a pleasure to talk to Manny Fidel, who's going to be joining the show right after this. happens it, it, every time i get back to new york from ohio i i feel like a sinus pressure change and i do honestly think it's like the you know not to be biased but like the crisp ohio air yeah. and then flying into the the, the sludge yeah, New York city air. Like my gunk. body always suffers from that yeah a little bit of ohio well, propaganda but it's okay <laughs> Couldn't be me. The air is always crisp and clear, and the weather's always beautiful here in Southern California. Oh boy, <laughs> sixty Christ. degrees and sunny every day. What I've been talking about is the the, the California so lifestyle. Has so been, tough. Has seduced him. Has it been a year yet since you moved? No, it's been like four months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming out there in uh, February. I'm super excited. You oh, have to please give me some do. recommendations. Where are you staying? Are you staying with me? Uh, that would be nice for a couple of days, but my I'm staying with uh, my my friend Max. You know Max. He he yeah, kind of yeah. his parents live. Uh, where is that? Uh, Orange County. What's his so. address? Yeah, just drop <laughs> drop their address. Yeah. We'll come over. All the listeners I'll put it in come the over. chat. Yeah, that's far though. I'm just saying, Orange County's kind of far. Yeah. It's a, I'm planning on doing like half of the time in Orange County, half of the time in LA, but when I'm in LA, we get, we got to go off for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll go crazy. We'll get some in and out. <laughs> we'll catch a Lakers game. That I'm anyway. actually genuinely like to do if you're down. Yeah, let's do it. We'll do it. Yeah. Let's make some plans. I, I think people are loving the planning here. Yeah. <laughs> this is what people tune into this program for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Day to day planning. Of Manny's trips. Yeah. The Lakers are yep. looking not so good right now. I don't know. It seems like their season's kind of gotten derailed here. Dude, they yeah. won the title. The season's over. What do you mean? Yeah, they, won yeah. the, they won the cup. <laughs> the only title that matters. The mid the NBA <laughs> the, the <mid> tournament <laughs> that we all that we all the, the prestigious it, NBA tournament that we all around win. January the, the Lakers just blow up. It, it's so yeah. insane. LeBron's do you like that for playoff mode? Do you like the in season tournament? I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Yeah, me it. too. I thought at first it just sounded lame, but and I and I wondered what the incentive was for these like uber millionaire athletes to get like an extra 500k, but uh 
I, I think those little simple things make people like play up to the challenge and they all seem to be pretty into it. It's funny to like put your in season tournament win up in the drafters, but like the the tournament itself and its layout, I I thought I didn't think it was too bad. I like the courts. I was really I hated into that. the courts. Oh, the really? Courts, the courts were hideous. I loved that. <laughs> I thought it was cool. It was like a fun little, fun little visual flair that made it seem kind of different. I thought that was cool. Yeah, um, I liked it, the concept of it, but yeah. the, the execution of the courts were lacking, I feel. Uh, I was into it. I, mean, I, guess, I guess I'm in the minority on that. <laughs> I guess it's the kind of thing, too, is like when you're launching this kind of thing, in year one, it's always going to be kind of awkward, but I think as if they keep it going, you know, give it four or five years, it will have a bit of a history and a little bit of a prestige. And I think the the players are going to buy into it more and more every year too. So I just, I do think it is a cool new thing that they're, that they're doing. I hope they stick with it. Yeah, I think that's right. I sure. think people who probably thought that. the first Super Bowl was dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's a big week, Manny. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, the top story so far this week, well, there's been a couple, but I think the big story that transcends just political news is the release of some of these Epstein documents. Now, people of all political stripes have been wanting more information on Epstein's, Epstein's associates, uh, his network, who took trips with him, who visited his island, who was deeply connected with him and all of the nefarious things that he was doing. And we saw the first initial batch of documents released yesterday and then another batch released today. And this still, they're going to slow roll it over the next I guess, couple weeks or so. We'll see more and more. And we'll start to get a better picture of who really was in his circle and who really was was part of his his operation because right now it's it's a mystery to some people it's fodder for conspiracy theories and speculations there have been fabricated flight logs and lists circulating for years which seems to just kind of include all of QAnon's liberal enemies and i'm wondering what both of you make of what we've learned so far and the way people have reacted to it, because it seems kind of like a Rorschach test. Whatever you already thought about it and who was in who was involved, like you're just going to double down on your your priors. So I'm, I'm curious, as we've seen the slow rolling of some of these documents and some reports come out, what you both um, make of that so far. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, I think it's, you know, in the public interest, just like to figure to to kind of understand who was in Epstein's uh, circle. But then there's another tough part of it of like, you know, the flight logs, people were using the plane when he wasn't there, when he was there, or like they were going to different countries. It wasn't always necessarily to to the island. I think, I think people are, you know, are well within their rights to be like, hey, if you were on an Epstein's plane at all, then, you know, it should raise a lot of eyebrows. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm like, I see some of the celebrity names on there. People who claim that they didn't even know who he was. I, we saw a couple weeks ago, Robert, uh, RFK jr. Like just, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> conceded that he was on it without anyone even asking him the yeah. question. <laughs> so there's just good. like That's such a, bold a strategy. Yeah. Wide range of like, 
I, I don't I personally don't know what to make of it. If 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 I would love to see more clear dots being connected, if that makes sense. Um I I suppose I'm not necessarily like ready to uh lynch someone if they are just on the list, but like definitely want to know why they were on there, if that makes sense. It is definitely very interesting to me how it's become this kind of like partisan thing almost um it, it's actually fascinating because like you remember when trump was elected which led to the whole like pizzagate thing which which kind of slowly morphed into QAnon, and it was it was actually quite interesting because uh, i like i went back today to listen to a podcast that i did in like 2018 at the time like before epstein's second arrest when epstein wasn't really on the QAnon radar and in the whole QAnon universe, Trump is like the hero. Trump is the protagonist. He's he's investigating these. He he's dealing with the Democrat Party sickos and the, the traffickers and all this stuff. And I was I was trying to point out to these QAnon weirdos like the connections between Trump and Epstein, um, both like the the ways that that Trump was in Epstein's circle at least for a time and had spent time with him and been documented with this. And the way that um, Alexander Acosta, who was Trump's labor secretary, was implicated in giving Epstein this sweetheart deal in 2008 when he was initially arrested, which he got off with like a little slap on the wrist, even with these serious accusations going on. Um, so I think it's interesting in light of all these connections between the Trump world and Epstein the way that that's been folded into the whole QAnon thing. And they seem to have no sort of cognitive dissonance about this. Like they, they seem to have no issue with uh, folding that into their whole conspiracy theory, despite the, the documented connections between uh, the, the Trump world and Epstein. And really it should show anybody that it's not this partisan thing. There's these deep connections with Bill Clinton and these these powerful Democratic Party people, and there's plenty of connections with the with Trump himself and the Republican Party. Like it's not this like you don't need to filter everything through this partisan lens. If anything, it shows that there's kind of like bipartisan consensus among the ruling class in a lot of countries because there's people like Prince Andrew and people from other powerful people from other countries that are implicated in this as well um, that are implicated in this kind of freaky shit. And I think that's like if these people were actually serious about wanting to understand how power works and how this like these powerful people are involved in this kind of uh, criminality and this kind of sick behavior, you'd think that they could shut off that like team sports aspect of it and really like take all that in. But it seems like everyone involved wants to not do that. I mean, I even pointed out I, earlier this week, I did a tweet talking about how the fact that Ghislaine Maxwell was at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. And I had a number of like people from like Democratic Party people and liberals being like, oh, well, Trump was in there as well. But it's like, yeah, that's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's bad. the point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting aspect of this whole thing, I think. It just seems to have broken people's brains. They've wanted this for so long. It's been a buzzword for a lot of people for years now. And now they're finally starting to get some information and I think a lot of people don't know how to process it. Like we're seeing the, the standard like, oh, this is a distraction from this issue or even just like I thought the site going down yesterday was reflective of the demand. So I tweeted out the link like, oh, well, the documents should be here, but the server's down. That's clearly just demand. Right. And, these, and I saw replies like, 
oh, how convenient. It's like, do you just know how websites and servers work? <laughs> like, I wasn't going to get into it with them, but it's like, it, this isn't a conspiracy. Like, they're, they're just releasing court documents, and those sites are not equipped to handle, like, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people flooding it all at once. Like, what, yeah. what would they be hiding if they already said they're going to release it? Like, yeah. You're going to get it. Just when the server comes back. Jesus yeah, Christ. The, the web designer's name was on the, the flight list. And so he had to go. Because, oh, shit. I got to <laughs> yeah. erase this before I put it back on the website. <laughs> no, dude, I it's think we so all just stupid. got a little bit lost in uh, that number of years ago when Epstein killed himself. And we all kind of I mean, it, it at the time, it's like, oh, OK, why did he do that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we probably I think all of us naturally because it the timing of it all we're just like oh shit what's going on here and it just festered and it like mar we've been marinating in this for a few years and so with the release of this these documents it's just all coming out it was bottled up well it's yeah. funny because you have people like aaron Rodgers going on tv and like basically accusing jimmy kimmel of of being on part of these lists and then jimmy kimmel responds with you know, it's like threatening to sue him. I don't know what that feud is about. I guess it has to do with like the vaccine or Rogers kind of being a crank or what what have you. But that's the amazing thing as well. It's like Rogers is is trying to put place all his enemies on the the official pedo list, and then he like endorsed RFK Jr., who flew on the fucking plane himself, like we just <laughs> talked about. So it's like, what what is this? You know what I mean? It's like it, it's it's truly amazing. It's just it it's like it's just being turned into being weaponized and turned into this way to own your political enemies and it seems like no one has any real principles that's that's talking about these things it's all just a way to talk about how the other side is bad and and um it completely ignoring their own their own political allies and people that they're connected to them that are part that are part of this thing yeah uh to, to talk on that for a second so aaron Rodgers is a frequent guest on pat mcafee's show on espn it's a show i recently started watching or at least the clips of i think He's an interesting entertainer. And on college game day, he is such a good heel. He has some connection with WWE. Yeah. I think he, maybe he's like, he's like a character on WWE. Yeah. He and did he's commentary a for them as well. Yeah. He is a, he is a tremendous heel. And I think he's taken that lesson and applied it to college game day in such an entertaining way. Yeah. And I think he's just like, he's a good showman. He's not the brightest guy and he's not somebody or a show that I would turn to for political news. So when Rogers pops off about Jimmy Kimmel about this, like you say, it's an extension of their feud over vaccines because uh, Kimmel has been making fun of him for being anti-vax and just generally anti-science. And uh, he so he he levies this accusation, which is clearly bullshit. And in defense of or to cover his ass the next day, Pat McAfee, which I'm sure uh, instructions came down from ESPN higher ups, but you got to start to, you got to address this because they're, they're all on the same network. He was McAfee's defense was, you know, sometimes when you're just, you know, talking shit, you're just starting making chokes. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it isn't, it isn't that though, because there are people who genuinely believe this shit. And when they see Photoshop lists of names, which like we mentioned for years, there have been all these names in like the QAnon world that were also just copied and pasted for alleged Epstein flight logs that were just Democrats or liberals who are prominent or in entertainment who were critical of Trump. And because of that, some lunatic accused them of being part of some like baby blood drinking ring or pizza shop enterprise. Yeah. 
and that's dangerous because you've seen the the like the real violence that communities that believe those conspiracies have inflicted like the real world violence so kimmel responded like hey fucking moron like you're gonna put my family in danger like it's it's already weird enough when someone's that high profile just because of their high profile status i don't necessarily feel bad for them but when you have lunatics out there who believe everything they read on the internet and then go out and commit violence yeah i do feel bad for you then and he's just fanning the flames and this guy just see Roger seems to be someone who spends way too much time online, especially now that he's not playing because he fucking blew his uh, Achilles. But mm-hmm. I just I, I'm, I'm kind of floored. That's just not the impression that I had of him several years ago. It's definitely been a, a evolution or a de-evolution over the past couple of years. But he's just really just gone off the deep end. It shows yeah. that no one is immune from being pulled into that uh, that uh, right wing kind of conspiracy world, you know. Totally. It's also he was such a golden a, boy. The 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 whole excuse yeah. of like shooting the shit is so funny because it's like, you know, if Jordan and I are shooting the shit, we're we're gonna be like talking about our bowling scores or like who's better yeah. at like basketball. Like we're not accusing <laughs> yeah. each other of like rape and pedophilia like this yeah, is not a little weird the shit this is something that aaron Rodgers clearly believed and yeah. uh and said to an Those audience guys of being probably dudes. millions of people um <laughs> it's just such a weird uh no real apology and you could tell that the the whoever higher up was you know actually upset that Rodgers probably flew too close to the sun here because they trotted Pat uh, McAfee out in like a long sleeve black shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and like he he's, like he's his, wearing like his a formal sleeves. Yeah. yeah, it's a, a really his bizarre scenario. I'm wearing my serious Henley today. Yeah. <laughs> my untuck it shirt. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, like if you want to go down this conspiracy angle with Epstein, there is plenty of, of questions that I am interested in. Um, for instance, you know, if people want to say like, oh, this is a distraction from things that are going on or to talk about like, you know, Israel, Palestine, for example, I'd like to know the connection with that. Um, I would like to know whether uh, Epstein himself had any kind of intelligence connections um, or whether Ghislaine Maxwell did. We know that Ghislaine Maxwell's father had uh, connections with the Israeli government and Mossad. Um, that's kind of the thing that I'm curious about. If we want to go down that crank rabbit hole, I'm curious about whether Epstein was part of some kind of like honeypot intelligence network gathering compromising uh, information about some of the most powerful people in the world for the purpose, for whatever purpose is blackmail or whatever. I think that's a, uh, considering that strategy has been employed, you know, over and over again by these intelligence agencies. I don't think that's really an unreasonable assumption. And that's kind of a qu- an unanswered question about all this that uh, I'm curious about. But that's what I think when you get into this kind of partisan mudslinging and just the names being released and those bigger questions that I think are very legitimate and and uh, that I would be really interested in learning the answers to, that shit just doesn't get really get addressed. Um, so that's kind of, that's what I, I find kind of interesting about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, more to come. Uh, we should see more documents and names released Uh over the next, I guess, couple weeks or maybe months. But one name that has already emerged, and this was not surprising, was Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> and I want to know if if either of you saw the clip of Dershowitz oh, I saw deflecting by invoking <laughs> Hamas and asking if all of these feminists uh, 
who yeah. are after him and calling for the release of this this information if they have condemned Hamas, which is just really an incredible is, is red that herring. The, is that the best what aboutism of all time? Is it's that just so got to be? It's like yeah. top. It's three, really good. I think. It's got to be. Couldn't believe it. Getting accused of essentially rape and pedophilia, and your but your response is asking people if they condemn Hamas. Yeah, I, I, I'm floored. I don't even know how to react to that. No, I know. It's just on autopilot. <laughs> and then you had, I saw people, there was that classic tweet, like defending Dershowitz being like, listen, he may be a pedophile, but as a classical liberal that, you know, for argues his ideas and it's like, I'm going to stop you right there. Like, I think like, you know, if you really want to find someone that's going to argue these viewpoints, whatever Dershowitz talks about, surely there's plenty more people that you can, that you can find that aren't connected to this, like, grotesque uh child trafficking ring for the world's most powerful people you know you got to cut some loose i think and even when one of your faves is implicated like alan dershowitz <laughs> you gotta just you gotta just say you know what this guy's i'm not going to continue to support this this fellow you know that's just me but yeah, apparently one some of the people are having a hard time with this go out like that yeah it is yeah more <laughs> calls this week for dershowitz to represent israel in the international criminal court and in, in, def- in response to South Africa's uh, mm-hmm. genocide. Uh, I got to say, I've, I've never this? wanted something to happen more in my life. I think <laughs> than this. I hope that this goes ahead because I'm very <laughs> interested to see how that's going to go. He's so good. So <laughs> I think enough about Epstein though. There will be more, uh, unfortunately, because every detail is, is, is terrible. Uh, there is another story this week that is, I think I think pretty big. Uh, I don't know if it'll impact the election. I think a lot of liberals want it to. But the Washington Post covered a report that uh, House Democrats released showing that Trump took over seven million dollars while president from officials and representatives of several foreign governments while president. And people remember there's a big push for him to divest and disassociate himself from his business enterprise while he is president which is a pretty standard ethical move that any public figure should partake in, but he refused. And many argued that that violated the emoluments clause and the emoluments clause is back in the news with this report. The Supreme court kind of tossed this case in 2021 saying the issue was moot because he wasn't president anymore. Once it got to the Supreme court, well, he's running again. So it does seem relevant again. We knew, we kind of knew he was doing this, especially when he got that hotel right by the White House and was, in, you know, kind of tacitly encouraging diplomats or foreign officials to stay there. And many of them saw that as an opportunity to curry favor with him. I'm wondering if either of you think this will impact Trump's chances for 2024. Uh, will his base, I can't imagine will care that much. They'll say, oh, he's just being a smart businessman. But do you see Democrats or or lawyers representing Democratic interests succeeding in a legal challenge to continue to uh, try to remove him from the ballot or disqualify him from from the election? I think, unfortunately, this is like number 2000 on the list of things that should disqualify (laughs) someone from 
not just being president, but even being considered as a nominee. But of course, I can't. I mean, I'd, I think I'd. I don't think it's really going to have a ton of uh, sway on. Uh, certainly, his party, but also in a broader scale, most voters. Um, it's it's these this it's stuff that we've come to expect from Trump. It's probably not even the worst of his uh, his transgressions. Uh, so it's uh, in a, an ideal world, maybe thirty years ago, this kind of story would come out and there would be a huge backlash to it. But it hard it's hard for me to imagine that this would be uh, that this would kind of sway things. Yeah, I just I I really agreed with. Um with Ryan Grimm's analysis about all of Trump's legal sort of consequences going on right now. And that there was a time that they could have really gone after Trump and gotten him disqualified from running, maybe, maybe enacted some serious legal consequences, which was immediately following the, the actions of, of January 6th, when there was kind of a bipartisan consensus to do this, when there was like kind of public opinion that was going to support that. I think like when you when you look at those cases or, or any of these other uh, legal issues that he's got going on right now, it's just so much harder now to make any of this stick leading into this election, where whether you like it or not, and like I I I'm this is not a defense of Trump in any way. The reality is, Trump is like by far the most popular Republican candidate currently running for president and look according to most polling right now more popular than the current sitting president at the moment um so this is the situation where it's like now that this where you're approaching uh, election season in the united states any effort now to really enact these kind of consequences or prevent trump from running or put him in jail regardless of whether it's right or not you know that's not what this is about regardless of any of that is going to be seen as being this a partisan thing, this anti-democratic thing. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about this coming election in the US is just that like, you know, it's still not clear whether any of that stuff's going to work, whether Trump is going to be able to run at all. And that's the reality is that there's like 30% of Americans that are really supportive of this guy. And it's really impossible to know how these people are going to react now if any of this stuff comes to fruition this close to this election when he's, you know, he's polling in the way that he is. Um, that's really the the dynamic right now that I find it's, it's really kind of a dangerous situation and really fraught. Um, and I have no idea how it's going to play out, but I think that's, that's generally been my stance about all this. I think the time to, if there was ever a time to go after Trump and prevent him from running for president or enact legal consequences, it was four years ago. And the fact that these conversations are happening right now, um, you know, however many months, eight months away from an election when he's leading in the polls in the way that he is, I think it presents a whole lot of really serious problems. Yeah. And the, the idea that this kind of story, uh, won't sway voters, I don't think should mean that like the house Dems should just drop the case or anything. But I think to Rob's point, it's worth, it's worth understanding that We've just moved so far beyond a point where this uh, this kind of revelation is is so meaningful. Yeah, for the for the worse, obviously, but it's just it's just where we're at. I th- I think 
I was talking to somebody before we were recording and they were like, is that, is that illegal? It's like, I, yeah. Like if you're violating the emoluments clause, yeah. But like, what's illegal anymore? Like it just, he, because of how the Republican party and the Republican apparatus has just totally consumed the courts. Doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't seem like he's going to face any accountability for anything like and even when you have democratic inaction as we argued um and you pointed out rob like ryan has been making the case since january 6th uh you know when you have that kind of tepid approach to somebody who's just engaging in such brazen criminality and an attempt to overthrow the the results of the election which you know i think to some extent is a threat to democracy itself when you don't even have a sufficiently firm response to that like what what do laws even matter? And yeah, seven million dollars, like of like to your point, Manny, of everything that he's done, like seven million dollars from foreign governments doesn't seem like that much. Yeah, sure, it's corrupt. If it was AOC, they'd be up in arms. If it was a house dem, any house dem, Republicans would be furious. I mean, just they, they still try to bring up Menendez as if like suddenly they care about corruption again. Mm-hmm. So but even Democrats not really doing anything about him is just kind of like reflective of how systemically corrupt our system is. Like we just don't have a series of laws or, or the enforcement of laws to prevent against or uh, in, engage in any anti-corruption in our government. So sure, I guess, is it illegal? I guess. <laughs> like, is anything going to happen? Probably not. <laughs> We could just copy and paste that exact soundbite for pretty much every uh, every Trump legal story. <laughs> like it's for years now. Like, is it illegal? I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the interesting thing about Menendez. There was a lot of people on who are liberals who kept saying, like, "See, when one of our guys does something bad, we you know we stand, we put our foot down." And like, but I was like, there wasn't a ton of democratic officials who kind of condemned him or or you know i was surprised by the amount of how few there were like nobody like nobody's like for all the talk about santa getting santos out of congress like where's that same pressure for for menendez like i i don't know he's just he he seems to be in good favor uh, and in good standing with the Democrats and top level Democrats. So they're not going to go after him. He's, he's played the game. So they're not going to throw, they're not going to throw him under the bus, but I would like to see a consistent application or standard in Congress. I think everybody would, it would benefit all of us, but you just, you unfortunately don't get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to wonder like what level of corruption you have to get to in order to have that kind of consequence. Like you got this guy like stumbling out of an airplane, like with a, briefcase comically opening up with like gold bricks tumbling out of it. They're just like, no, this is okay to do. Actually. It's not a big deal. I, I don't know. I mean the guy, Chris, um, Oh God, I can't remember his last name, but he was a representative from New York. He was doing like insider trading at the white house during the Trump years. He was like the, one of the first Republic or yeah. First Republicans to step down because they caught him on camera on the phone at the and they pieced it together through once the documents and the evidence were, was released that he was literally doing insider trading at the white house for a Trump event. And like, that is what it took for somebody to, I mean, he resigned cause he was facing charges, but, um, that's, 
that's the extent of corruption i guess it takes something you have to be on camera at the white house making the president look bad other than that like short of that it seems like you're you're fine yeah it, you have to be you know it has to be so clear cut you, you basically have to leave your superiors with no other choice but to to have some kind of to put down some kind of consequence on you other than that that's that's how you get these these gold bars and hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash stuffed in your walls and your wife is running people over in, in her car like just really insane really insane things gold bars is such a comical touch like that's so good it's like cartoonish and then like cartoonish level corruption his excuse about the gold bars was like it's a like a family tradition or something yeah. i can't remember yes the only thing that would yes. make it more cartoonish if he was just being handed big burlap sacks with big dollar signs on them like yeah for the- christmas yeah <laughs> you gotta bring those back uh there was there was one other topic we wanted to get to with you manny and that's it's a continuation of our, our conversation we had last episode about claudine gay uh the now former president of harvard who resigned after what we we argued last week was just or last episode which is kind of a bullshit plagiarism scandal mm-hmm. but the people who waged this culture war over insufficient citations in her writing in 1993 and 1997 have since since we since she resigned and also since we did that episode laid out that this was this was part of their goal and it really wasn't about plagiarism. They talk about how this was a tactic that could be redeployed by the right in their culture war. Mm-hmm. And you saw some of them explicitly mention things like DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are just standard anti-racist um, inclusivity protocols and uh, guidelines and standards and trainings in a professional setting. You know, I, I'm sure you have see, you have seen these trainings at, at your work. I've seen them at mine. We we do them often. Like, hey, there's this is how you don't discriminate against people in a in a professional setting because that's yeah. important and also because discrimination's illegal. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just it's just good to have. And it's been a target for the right, the same people who have been waging this war against critical race theory. And as we suspected, this is what her resignation and the crusade to get her out of Harvard. This is what it was ultimately about because Chris Rufo, the arc, uh, one of the architects of this campaign admitted it. This wasn't about plagiarism. This is about targeting a high profile uh, black woman in a position of power, specifically in an education setting. And as they, he and Bill Ackman, who was a hedge fund guy who is a big Harvard donor uh, and also helped champion her ouster. They've they've admitted this is what it's about, and this is what they want to keep doing, naming other university presidents that they want to go after next. I'm curious, um, from your perspective, Manny, someone who covers the news, someone who does commentary, uh, and also just as someone who works in a professional setting and knows these are standard trainings, not indoctrination Mm-hmm. <laughs> camps yeah. like what what do you make of people waging war about dei in an educational professional setting and try to framing it as, as plagiarism yeah i came away with a, a few takeaways from this whole scandal <clears throat> the first is that you know just 
how insidious the that kind of wing of this party is that the there's something about the transparency of their their goal and their mission that just i think speaks to how uh just you know how terrible it all is it's like that you feel like a certain um uh indoctrination is happening and so you're going to use these this other reasoning to try and get this woman to be either expelled or resigned it just feels it all feels so i don't know i can't even put words to it It it, it's so it makes me feel like we are just on such (laughs) a terrible path leading into the election um another thing is you know i honestly don't I'm I'm speaking honestly. I don't know what trainings, DEI trainings they're talking about. I work for one of the biggest news outlets in the country. These this would be the place where these kinds of trainings are happening. I just had to do my training a few months ago. Uh I, I these are things you just kind of click through, you skip through them on your computer. I shouldn't be I shouldn't be admitting that, but <laughs> I mean but, you pay close attention and yeah, take yeah, notes. Of course, yes. Exactly. But you know <laughs> in order yeah. to get to the next screen, you do have to like answer questions based on the the things they show you. And like right. I can remember maybe one question out of the two hundred that had to do with with diversity. I mean, I, I, this it's it's such a made up issue in my opinion. I do understand that in response to like in 2020, the summer of 2020, when George Floyd was killed, that a lot of companies did take that turn and they wanted to, uh, you know, appear more, you know, palatable to social justice and all that X, Y, and Z. And I've, and I noticed that too, in my own company that I was working with, uh, for at the time, but this idea that like you're being locked into a, a meeting room and they're like forcing you to talk to black people or something like, I, I don't understand what the real, <laughs> I would support that if that was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be good. First to of all, it sounds sick, but uh, <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm still to this day fail to understand what the real complaint is. And so it makes me feel like, you know, all of it is, is it's trumped up. Yeah, well, and I think like what you just said when you were describing that, uh, the, the operative word when you were describing that is uh, they they wanted to appear to take these things seriously. Um, I think what's become clear in in the years since the George Floyd protest and since this kind of very like cursory uh, effort on the part of these big corporations, media organizations, and and academia or, or what have you to try and take diversity and inclusion more seriously was always kind of just a, a, just a, a, a way to signal that they cared about these things without actually changing anything about how they operate. And that's mm-hmm. the amazing thing is that despite how completely like toothless any of that was, um, it's been viewed by the right as some kind of dangerous yeah. uh, cultural Marxism or whatever the fuck they're calling it. You know, it's like, it's it's really amazing and i think that's the incredible thing is like given that and then given the way that you have guys like christopher rufo i talked a little bit about this in the intro but completely being open and honest about how bad faith all of their complaints are about this being totally transparent about the fact that it is just about power and that they are just trying to hurt these these uh these institutions and try and like win these culture war battles I think it's just incredible that people take this seriously and feel the need to like defend 
defend themselves or try to appear reasonable to these people or try to throw them a bone or show how serious they are about um, taking their complaints seriously, which are obviously being made in totally bad faith. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, but I, yeah, it's an example of the ways that, um, you know, the way that the right take these culture war battles and, uh, and make such, uh, make such hay over it. And the fact that like nothing is really being done to meaningfully advance social justice by these big companies, but, the right takes these these totally cursory efforts and uh, turns it into these big battlegrounds in the culture war, and then end up end up just like pushing these companies even further back from where they were previously. Um, you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty dangerous trend, I think, and it seems to be have no sign of of really letting up. It, yeah, it is incredible that this entire wing of the party is getting this upset about what is essentially marketing, like what is essentially the companies you know, uh, like wanting to get better or pretending that they want to get better and not actually doing the work that that entails. Like all of this can probably be tied back to like a fucking like Doritos commercial about diversity or something. Like I can't believe how, how uh, potent this hatred is that it's extended so far to the point that we're trying to remove presidents from universities uh, when this, <laughs> when this was probably born out of like a Gillette razor commercial or something similar. Like I can't, I can't believe it. So, so Rufo in an op-ed for the wall street journal admits and acknowledges their tactics here. He writes conservatives face enormous disadvantages in public discourse. Most significant, the progressive left's near monopoly on prestige media. First of all, what what are you talking about? The progr <laughs> quote progressive left does not have a monopoly on prestige media. I I wish it did, but it does not. Like it absolutely does not. Uh, you there is no shortage of conservative views on every every network and in every mainstream uh, newspaper. The I mean, the three biggest newspapers are the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times and the Washington Post. There is no shortage of conservative and center voices in those outlets. So this idea that there's it's just all skewed to the progressive explicitly that that's laughable anyway. Yeah. So he talks about by raising these dynamics to the surface, and he's talking about their culture war issues by raising these dynamics to the surface. We can begin to challenge and subvert them. It worked. After ignoring the story for more than a week, the center left public now it's center left. The center left publications <laughs> began to corroborate allegations of Miss Gay's plagiarism and raise questions about her leadership. So he's acknowledging that their whole strategy relies on these outlets taking the bait. And I think you need to see more due diligence from reporters to look into who is pushing these things and why. You know, Mike Cernovich was doing this kind of stuff years ago he's, if people don't know who he is fringe right guy tried to cozy up to the conspiracy you. wing <laughs> yeah he, oh yeah definitely <laughs> like he's just he's had a bunch of different personas and approaches and brands for himself but he's just a loud mouth on the right who's tried to profiteer at every possible way in every possible like right wing cultural zeitgeist moment 
He was he a big was promoter doing... of the whole Pizzagate thing when that was when that Absolutely. was taking off. That's Absolutely. how I first heard about him. And he he was successful in getting several high profile people fired for old tweets. Um and eventually people just saw what he was doing and why he was doing it. And then they just stopped paying attention to him and he stopped and he moved on. Rufo is admitting he's doing essentially the same thing and it's working because mainstream media and legacy media are taking the bait. So there needs to be more due diligence when this guy you can see is clearly ginning up narratives ginning up hysteria over things like diversity over things like quote critical race theory which is as again it's taught in law schools as a way to consider the historic effects of biased or white-centered like laws and and our history of racism in this country it's a perfectly fair way to see how the law has been constructed over two centuries and he's trying to make people think that it's taught in elementary schools and children's books. And that's bullshit, and you know it's bullshit. So why are you treating him and his work seriously? Yeah, it's a, it, we're, we're not in a great place. I think the reason is because they, these kind of buzzwords and buzz topics and subjects get clicks, and we're not in a great place where uh, our, our news apparatus is incentivized to talk about these incredibly divisive things knowing how uh trumped up they are and so you know unfortunately and until we uh try and figure out ways to to i don't know restructure how the news works you know this guy is going to keep being successful and he doesn't need to hide the fact he doesn't need to hide his intentions uh which is why they were just in the wall street journal right I mean, these people just live in an alternate reality. Just hearing him talk about like the way that the left has captured these mainstream media institutions is one of the most delusional things you could possibly believe. Or to circle back to to, to Harvard and academia and the Epstein shit, Harvard is basically like a war criminal factory. Like the idea that Harvard <laughs> is some like some some communism training ground or whatever these people think that it is, it's it's honestly one of the most delusional things you can imagine. And yeah, Epstein and, and Alan Dershowitz and all these guys come from that world. Like this is not like the, the idea that these, these huge institutions in either media or academia and these Ivy league schools are like sources of legitimate sources of any kind of like left wing radicalism or left wing yeah. thought is honestly one of the most insane things that you could possibly believe. But it seems like there's a whole big, segment of the population on the right that seem that that believe this to be true to believe that that harvard is basically just this like uh, antifa training center where there's just students parading through the through the grounds calling for the genocide of 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 jews which is totally allowed by the by the woke uh, crt promoting diversity hire president it's honestly just total fantasy land and you have people in these institutions that are so desperate to like disprove this idea. They're like, we must take these accusations seriously. But you're, take, <laughs> you're taking the accusations seriously of people that are basically ranting maniacs with no actual understanding of how any of these big institutions works. So, yeah, I think maybe it would be a good idea to start reevaluating that, reevaluating the strategy of trying to appease <laughs> these people. Maybe this time they're going to now they're going to think that The New York Times is good and Harvard is good. 
No, they're going to take these scalps and they're going to move on to the next thing, knowing full well that this strategy that, that they can employ at any time is going to be work time and time again. Um, and they just keep being proven correct. Yeah, I just can't get past the this notion that the progressive left has any kind of a hold on mainstream media. Not only is that not true, but there are center left spaces and networks, what have you, that are antagonistic to uh, to more progressive uh, politics. So it's just such a a baseless opinion. Like I, you know, it's just so left field. Yeah, yeah. Well. I think it's a good place to wrap. Uh, Manny, we, we really appreciate you joining us, taking time to talk to us. Where can people follow you and find more of your work? Yeah, I'm uh, at Manny Fidel on uh, pretty much every social media app. Um, check out the MSNBC social media pages if you're so inclined. I'm on there a bunch. You'll see my pretty face. Um, but yeah. We love it. Thank you Thanks so much Manny. for joining us. Yeah, of course. <laughs>